0: Good morning. Good morning. The reading today is from uh, Old Testament reading is Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 15. What page? Seven, page 779 in your pew Bible. If you would, bow with me and we'll open with prayer. <clears throat> Dear God Open our ears Lord That we may hear your word this day Open our minds and hearts to be changed Free us from the unclean spirits Of worry, fear, destruction and pride Teach us Lord So that we may follow you more faithfully In- jesus name we pray and all god's people said amen isaiah 52 7 through 15 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation who says to zion your god reigns The voice of your watchmen; they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord of Zion. Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As mercy, as many, excuse me, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that Of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. This is the reading of the Word.
1: Thanks, Clint. We continue on. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John. It's a familiar story. The text, the background of it, is that Christ has been with the disciples um, in uh, the northern part of um, Israel. And he has to go back to Jerusalem. And between northern Israel and Judah is this problem country called Samaria, full of half-breeds of folks that disagree with the Jews and don't get along. And Jesus decides instead of going around like the holy men, he's going to cut right through because he has this divine appointment. He comes near the t- town of Sicar, He's thirsty. He stops by the famous Jacob's well. And let's pick up the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone that we know of in Scripture, at least that's recorded. Chapter 4 of John, starting in the 6th verse, page 1131 in your pew Bible. Listen to this great conversation between Jesus and this interesting woman. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, high noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The footnote is, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This doesn't work. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, That is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, he would have given you living water. The starter woman said to him, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, well, give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty. I don't have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, okay, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, I know, you're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman changed the subject. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, this is the place where people ought to worship? Jesus said, her woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I I know. I know the Messiah is coming, the one that's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us everything. Jesus looked at her and said, I that you're speaking to am he. This is the word of the Lord. August 6th, 1945, the famous day. It ended World War II by dropping an atomic bomb on Hiroshima. But that's not where the war started. If you've seen the famous movie now, the top-selling movie this summer, not the emoji movie, but Dunkirk, you know, this is how the war started. Before it was even declared, Hitler, with his panzer division, blitzkrieged into France. He swung around the Maginot Line with his panzer division and was driving the French and the British expeditionary force to the ocean. Paris was about to fall. And Churchill had to make this great decision as almost the entire, French, excuse me, the entire British army was going to be completely annihilated. 400,000 men ended up at a beach in Dunkirk. And they were about to be slaughtered. Hitler sent in Gering's Luftwaffe to just strafe and bomb and just, just destroy. A group of men twice the size of Amarillo were going to be wiped out. And you know the story. The army was pinned, excuse me, the Navy, the British Navy was pinned down. They could not get out because of the planes. They were stuck in another engagement. And Churchill calls out to the people of Britain, come and save the, the boys of Britain. Send whatever you can. And the navy of small ships appeared. so you'll see in the picture here, people with water taxis, rowboats, sailboats, private yachts, literally hundreds and hundreds of private citizens took whatever they had and crossed this channel that you can almost see France between the like white cliffs of Dover. And for day after day, in May to June, 1940, they saved 330,000 people. It turned the tide of the war. It kept Britain from surrendering. It changed the face of our... It still affects us today because the professionals weren't there. They couldn't do it. They had to have the people, just everyday men and women, save the youth of Britain. What does it have to do with us today? Folks, it's even worse than that. This is one of the hardest years I've ever had, hardest summers I've ever had to be in ministry. I have been to or done nine funerals. Five of those funerals were drug addiction, drug abuse, and deaths of young people—meth, cocaine, etc. One of those was in the church. Out of nine funerals, only one we knew for sure the person was a believer. The rest of them, they didn't even have a church to go to. Either I visited or was asked to do it because they had no church. We saw funeral director after funeral director, bless their heart, get up and not know anything about the man, Other, he loved to fish. Two funerals were all they knew, the family knew, was Psalm 23, John 316, and had Elvis sing Amazing Grace. Not himself, but a recording. I walked out of a funeral of a young man, and my friend Nikki, who goes to Gap, said, do they always lie at funerals? I said, what do you mean? She goes, we know he wasn't a believer. And everybody just acts like he's in heaven. When we all get to heaven, it's not, no, we don't all get to heaven, but we cover it up. Not only have I been to funerals, where time after time I have to preach, the hardest job you'll ever have in this world is to preach at a funeral where you have no idea if they're saved and think they probably didn't know Jesus. That's a tough thing to do. I don't like that part of the job, but I have to do it over and over again. Not only are people dying without Jesus, without a church, without connection, without a pastor like never before, Young people are taking their lives. There's a series on TV called The 13 Reasons Why I Took My Life. Yesterday in Amarillo, Texas, at 2 o'clock, there were two funerals of 20-somethings who both took their lives. People are dying without Jesus. I don't want to preach another funeral where someone doesn't know Jesus. Marriages are falling apart. Kids are falling apart. Drinking, alcoholism. It's it's just... our, our kids are on the beach. A generation is being trapped. Satan's got them on the run. And we can't do it. There's not enough professionals. It's up to you. You need to be the small navy, the small ship, your boat, go to your beach and see who you can bring home. That's what the church is about. As we look at between the end of preaching in acts and before we start our fall series, Howard has us always go through our pillars, what we're about. What's our DNA of this church as we think about this mission? And we have claimed these four pillars. This, this, this is our DNA. Worship, grow, connect, and serve. We're going to talk about those four over this next month. Worship is wonderful. We do it, and that's for us. Just selfie. That's about us. Grow. That's about us. That's our, our own growth. But it can't stop there. We'll be a dead church, and people will die on the beaches of not knowing Jesus. Connect and serve. That's the rest of who we are. It's not, we're not going to be here in a year or two years. Let's talk about this connection. Let's talk about this compassionate community. I love how Jesus just tells me how to do this. It's not a formula. It's a principle. It's a lifestyle. Watch the four things that Jesus does with this woman who has nothing at all in common with him, who's a non, as far from God as she can be, and let's look at four things that he tells us we could do. Just four ideas, four principles that help us find out what our boat is and where our beach is. He does these four things. First, he cares. First thing we need to do is pray to care. Do you really care that there are people dying without Christ, that young people are in an epidemic? This is not the Bible belt anymore, folks. The belt is shrinking. The leather is cracking. The buckle is rusted. We're a post-Christian society. Deal with it. It's true. We have to pray to care to find common ground. Look what he does to find common ground with this woman. We have to make a connection when we find that ground. Uncover the need there and then step out and share. Share the good news. Not only verbally but auditorily, tactically. we we'll look at how he does this. Let's look at these four ways. and Just where God and who God's calling you and I to do this with. First, pray to care. Don't you love that Jesus is in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person on purpose? He could, like every holy man, walk around Samaria and take another day like every rabbi does in Pharisee because those people, he walks right through this pagan country, Samaria. This would be like a white businessman in the 1930s in Alabama drinking at the same water fountain with a black woman. It's that bizarre and out of place. She even says, why are you talking to me? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't talk to women without their husband present. And a holy man surely doesn't talk to a prostitute because surely this woman has gone through marriage after marriage and man after man. We know something's wrong with her because she is in the wrong place at the wrong time. You don't go to the well to draw water, which was the job of women, with a jar on their head. You don't go there at noon in the middle of the heat, in the high, part. you go at night. It's the gathering circle. It's the coffee area. It's the shopping center. It's where women would socialize and hang out. She goes at noon by herself dangerous in the heat of the day she's been ostracized she's one of those women from that family from that part of town you know about her that's how she's been treated her whole life and he jesus is right there he could have made water like that he could have created water out of the rocks he's waiting for her he's waiting for her because he cares tim keller says people are messy Relationships will be messy. Expect messiness if you're going to care. Stephen Covey tells a story, the author of um, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. He's talking about how to just have an impact on the world. He just finished speaking at downtown in Madison Square Garden, New York City, just bringing the house down about how to, how to be effective as a person. And he gets on the subway to go home. It's late in the evening, and the subway car is packed with people, and there's these four kids from that kind of family, those people. And these kids are terrorizing the subway car. They're running up and down. They're, hanging, they're bothering people. And the father, his Hispanic father, has just got his head hung down. And Stephen Covey is irritated. He's like, I can't believe the poor parenting that's going on here. He finally gets up and says, I'm gonna take charge, Sir, sir, your kids are out of control. The Hispanic man looks up and says, well, I'm sorry, your kids, sir, they're out of control. They're bothering everybody. Don't you care? He said, I'm sorry. We just left the hospital downtown. Their mother died of cancer. I don't know what we're going to do. From then on, Covey said, (laughs) I'm going to care before I start to just try to judge people and prejudge people. The founder of Samaritan's Purse, Bob Pierce, says it like this. Lord, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. What's breaking the heart of God? Is that what you're upset about? Is that where your time's going? Or is it just our stuff, our life, our comforts? I love what Paul says. Paul, who's criticized about being homophobic or being chauvinistic or being legalistic. Look at what really the scripture says about Paul's heart. He's, in, he's the first one to go to the Gentiles. He's the first one to go to those that weren't like him. Not Middle Eastern, not Jewish not like him, he says. We're gentle among you, like a nursing mother takes care of her own children. Right now, my daughter has our second grandchild, Shepherd. Twenty-four-seven, she's holding him, and it, it's a, its amazing to watch. Paul says, "Being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our own selves, because you're dear to us, folks." Non-believers, lost people, hurting, marginalized, lost least and last people. We have to have a heart that cares. or We are fakes, and this building is a sham if we don't care. Then what's next? Find common ground. Look at how Jesus connects with this one. What does a holy rabbi, the son of God, have to do with a whore? A woman. What do they have in common? Does he say, I'm the Messiah. Hey, you know the Bible? Here's a tract. Does he have a bullhorn and yell at her, you're going to hell? No. What do they have in common? They're both thirsty. Water. Give me a drink. You think Jesus really needed a drink? Yeah, he was a man. He could have made water out of the air. He finds something to connect. I was a pharmaceutical rep for 25 years. The first thing that the non-Christian world, corporate world, told me at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals <laughs> said, when you go into a doctor's office to promote your product, don't just say, doctor, you need to use Lipitor. Your patients are dying of heart. Doctor, you need to do Zithromax. It's for free day. Don't start with that. As you're sitting in their office, look on their desk. See how many children they have. See what their pictures are. Look on their wall. Is there a fish? Is there a deer antler? Is there a What school do they go to? Where do they practice? When he comes and says, Tell me about your kids. Oh, they go to Crockett. I went to Crockett. You like to fish? Yeah, my wife and I go to Lake Jackson all the time. Find a connection. Those are the best people that sell. That's a non Christian world. Guess what the scripture says? Do the same thing. Do the same thing. Connect with people. Find not what the differences are. We're always talking about how different we are. Is that all we're going to be known for as Christians? Is what we disagree with, not on what we can agree with? I, I, I mean, I, I look at, um, we go to Palace Coffee. Jake, I, I get their expense reports. They're at Palace Coffee. They're at Marble Slab. Because they're, they're meeting kids where kids are. Kids drink coffee and hang out. Kids play volleyball. Kids go to Arch and climb. I go to Arch and watch them climb. My wife won't let me climb anymore but Orlando young life leader he goes to Caprock during school and sits in at lunch and he he tweets that I've got Laffy Taffy and kids come out of the woodwork and they get free Laffy Taffy and he tells them about Jesus he invites them to Young Life Club why do we go skiing why do we do these things that don't seem spiritual because that is establishing common ground find a way to connect not always disconnect so we care we find common ground and then look at what Jesus does He makes a connection. He uncovers the need. They have this conversation. She's starting to... This is a long conversation. Jesus is talking to her. She's not used to church people talking to bad people. She's used to being snubbed and judged and their eyes rolled and people walking the other side of the street and kicking them out of their church or their business or ignoring them on the street corner, but he's talking to her. And they start talking about her needs. So how about your Your husband? Oops, I'm sorry, I don't have a husband. Let's move on. I I know. You've done horribly with relationships, haven't you? You've got a problem with men. The guy you're living with, he doesn't even love you enough to marry you. She changes the subject, but he uncovers the need. We have to ask questions and not just preach and yell and throw the Bible and throw our Christian issues at people. We have to engage in conversation, ask questions, find out about their lives. That's what works. James says this. James says, don't you dare say to people, God be with you. When they're cold and they're hungry, give them a coat, give them food, then give them Jesus. My wife, as you know or may not know, owns an exotic animal business right over here across Elwood Park. Behind our business, there's a bar, there's a liquor store, there's what we call the tree, the hangout tree. Six or seven homeless people there all the time. There's an alley behind our building that goes right there between St. Mary's Church and our building. We call it the Homeless Highway. Hundreds of homeless people all the time. We could ignore them. I kind of shut the door and hide at my wife. Every time there's a birthday party, there's extra food. Every time we have something. There's a guy named Stick. I think Stick has one tooth, maybe. And Stick... Takes my wife's, the, the trash, the garbage. Whenever we, she cleans the place, she sets out to stick, takes the, the trash down the dumpster, and she, pay, she pays him. He comes by and asks how it's going. He tells the other homeless people to not mess with our business. <laughs> That's the gospel. Why don't we just stand on 6th and Carolina with a bullhorn and tell people they're going to hell? Because it doesn't work. Instead, heal the city. Takes hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the city on a Monday night. And gives them health care. And while they're waiting for their appointment with their doctor or their nurse, lay people, pastors, share Jesus Christ with them. Square mile, further down on 6th Street in San Jack, they've, they've plowed the land. They're planting vegetables. They're teaching people how to grow their own food. Because when their food is provided, then they'll listen to Jesus. Make a connection. Uncover the need. I love how John says this is really the gospel in 1 John 1, 1 through 2. Listen to the different aspects of presenting the gospel. It's not just preaching. It says this in 1 John. We have that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life and testified to it, proclaim to you eternal life. You know what John's saying? Hey, we saw Jesus. We not only heard him preach, we saw him walk on water, heal blind people, forgive a woman caught having sexual, we, we, we saw him raise people from the dead, we saw him feed fire, we saw him do it, and we felt him, we touched him. That's the gospel, not just preaching, but people seeing us care and give stuff away and care more about them. Watch us live out the gospel and then feel the gospel by the way we love them. That is what changes people's lives. What is the need? Can we meet that? However we can. If we don't, we're just noisy windbags, Paul says. It's just wind. Then what else does Jesus do? He's he's cared about her, which nobody did. He's found common ground, which is amazing. He's uncovered her needs. She's thirsty. She's horrible with relationships. She's confused about the Messiah. And finally, she's ready. Jesus is rounding third and heading for home. He's going home now. Here's home plate. She goes, well, yeah, yeah, I get all that. I, I, we differ in theology, but I know, I know the Messiah is coming. Christ is coming. He goes, you're looking at him. I'm him. I'm the living water. And you know what she does? Unbelievable. She drops the most precious thing she has, the water jar. She leaves her only job. She goes into town. She says, come. All you people who don't believe in me, all you people who think I'm horrible, can never be forgiven. All you people, all you righteous, come on and show you a man. They told me everything about me and loved me is what she's saying. And the city comes out and she becomes one of the most effective evangelists in that part of the country. There are the other churches, the other denominations around the world. They celebrate her name. They celebrate, churches are named after her. Some people call her Fotini. We don't even know who she is. There, there's, there's celebrations about this woman becoming an amazing evangelist because Jesus cared he connected, he found common ground, and then he shared himself. I, I love the way Peter says it. What does this look like? First Peter 3.15. He says, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Do you hear that? Don't go out and beat people over the head with your gospel or your ethics or your party or your politics or whatever. First of all, get close to Jesus. And then by caring for people and loving people, wait for them to say, Tell me about this Jesus. And do it with gentleness and respect. We're not known for that. Christians are not known for gentleness and respect. If you look at our missionary list and who are all our missionaries? You see a lot of names of people we send money to, but on that list, there's a missionary that we don't pay. He's not listed. His name's Steve Shilopka. He's a president of of Amarillo Gear. He goes over to China. He goes to India. He goes to Taiwan. He's in India, and he's with a customer for two days in a taxi. And they begin talking about the difference in Hinduism. And he buys them meals, and he, he gives them deals on business. They talk about business, and then they begin to talk about Jesus and how Jesus is the only way. And this Hindu person, for the first time in his life, hears the gospel because someone cared and connected and shared. Steve and Bob to go to Taiwan, and there's an employee there named Kevin Chang. He's a, he's a Buddhist, and they're looking at the different plants, and they're talking about <clears throat> business, and they're talking about things, and he, over a meal one night says my girlfriend died, and I I don't know where she is, if she's in heaven or not. And Steve begins to share the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the resurrection. He becomes a Christian. He comes to um, uh, Amarillo and visits our church. He now is a part of a men's Bible study from Taiwan. Anita sends him the Bible study notes every week, and he reads the scripture. Steve is doing it. He gets it. Do we get it? What is your... boat. What is your beach? Who are you concerned at their funeral who won't be able to say for sure they're going to be with Jesus? Because not everyone goes. Christ says the door's narrow. No one can be saved except under the name of Jesus Christ. Does that hurt you? Does that scare you or challenge you? It should. I don't want to do another funeral like that. Will you help us? 1980s, famous rock star, the band Genesis, a guy named Phil Collins, was performing in Washington, D.C. for the first time, and he wants to drive by the Capitol. He's in his big limousine. He's eating caviar, drinking champagne, and goes by the White House, but instead of noticing the White House, he notices all these homeless people. He's devastated. He thought this was the richest country in the world. He heard this was a Christian country. He's devastated. He can't imagine. He goes home, and he writes a song that becomes one of his most famous. It's about homeless people. And as you watch this, I want you to think about not just physically homeless people. Yes, we are called to do something for the poor. We have to, or we're not in the church. But I want you to think about spiritually homeless people. Wealthy, well-to-do, good-looking all-American people that are homeless spiritually. They're going to die without knowing Jesus. And somebody's going to say he was a good fisherman, and let's read Psalm 23, and we'll all go home. But not him, and not her. Who's that person that's spiritually homeless? They won't go to paradise unless you tell them. What is your boat? What is your beach? Who will you bring home?